Hear the word of the Lord from Revelation 22, starting at verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for being gracious and hearing our prayers. There is no God like you. Indeed, you are the only God. You are sovereign over all things. Yet, Lord, you are involved in the smallest details of our lives. So, Father, we ask you this morning to grant us ears to hear your word. The message here is not just for those in the past, nor is it only for those in the future. It is your word to us today. And we believe that it is alive, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the very bone from the marrow, Lord, able to speak to our hearts. So do your work within us, O Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. This passage is one of the best known of the book because of the warning that is affixed to it. It's very clear in verse 18. I warn everyone who hears. This warning often takes a predominant place, and rightly so. Because the reason for the warning is this. The Word of God is sufficient. It's able to accomplish what God desires for it to accomplish. And our approach to it, whether we seek to live obediently to it, or if by omission we subtract from it, we are giving a testimony with our lives as to our belief about the sufficiency of God's Word. What God has given us is sufficient for everything. His word is sufficient for our salvation. There's nothing else that is needed. His word is sufficient for us to live in obedience. He has given us exactly what we need. His word is sufficient for us to persevere. It will supply the strength we need because the Word and the Spirit work in tandem to supply the strength we need each day to press on. The Word of God is sufficient to give us hope. Hope so that we do not fall into despair or despondency. Hope so that we do not give up in the midst of trials and tribulations. It is that thought that lies behind this very clear warning because the revelation of Jesus Christ is sufficient. 
The warning that is given in verse 18 is not the only place in the Scripture where there is a warning given to the people of God not to tamper with His Word. In fact, this warning echoes in many ways. It mirrors even a warning found in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, upon the screen, you'll see Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Oh, now listen. Oh, now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. And do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do them and you'll live. Do them and experience the blessing of God. And then verse 2 is the warning. You shall not add to the word that I commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. Now it's interesting that here at the end of Revelation, it is lifted to be on par with Deuteronomy. Both of them equally the inspired and errant word of God. Both of them authoritative. Both of them given to us that we might live and persevere and have life. Even at the conclusion of Revelation is lifted up on par with the other scriptures so that there are not two different canons that vie for our allegiance. To the contrary, there is one word of God that speaks truth to us. Now notice to whom this warning is given in verse 18. Everyone who hears. Now that's important for understanding what this warning is about. You see, many times we only apply this warning to those who would translate God's word. And this scripture is brought in to many debates about which translation is the best, which translation should be used. I firmly believe that the translation we use is important. There are many good translations that are available today. We should be concerned that those who translate the Word of God do their best to translate it accurately. But I submit to you this morning, that's not the primary meaning of this verse. Because if that were the case, this would be addressed to those who would translate God's Word. But no, we don't get off that easy. This is given to every one of us who hear the word because the issue is not primarily translation. The issue is obedience. This is a warning to everyone who hears. And it's it's a warning to us because in preaching through this, we have read every word of Revelation. So by hearing it, you are now accountable. You can thank me later. You are now accountable to this. You are accountable not to twist the scripture to make it say what you want it to say. We are accountable to take it at what it says and to live accordingly. See, the idea of twisting scripture is nothing new. Twisting it to fit our own agendas, our own ideas of who God is, our own ideas of what truth is. That's exactly what Satan did in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? It's something that the early church struggled with. In the book of 2 Peter, upon the screen, you'll see an issue that Peter brings out to the church when he says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, the patience of the Lord is in reference to the delay in his coming. He's not come yet because he is patient, awaiting the salvation of those who had come to him. 
Peter continues, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. You see, isn't it good to know that even the early church, even Peter said there are things that Paul writes that are hard to understand. But it's this next phrase that grabs our attention, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Now, once again, you'll notice that what Peter says here is that Paul's writings to the church that we have in the New Testament are lifted up on par equal with the other scriptures, being the Old Testament. Already, when Peter is writing, it is recognized that the words and the writings of the Apostle Paul are equivalent to the Old Testament in authority. And he says, just like there was the warning in Deuteronomy not to twist the scripture, there are those who are ignorant of God that are doing the very same thing. You see, the truth of God is not like a tailor-made suit that we can go in and say, this is what would fit me. I need a 44 long, so make it fit that. No, we do not adapt the Scripture to our lives. We are called to adapt our lives to the Scripture. We are called to say, here is what God has said. Lord, grant me the grace to live in obedience to that. Remember, I've hammered home and time and time again that the idea of prophecy is where the prophet says, this is what God has said. This is where you are. Repent. And as we read the book of Revelation, Lord, let it stir within us an attitude of repentance where we say, Lord, change our attitudes so that we are living holy lives, not being transformed by this world so that we are conformed by its ideologies, but being conformed to the truth of God. Change us Oh, Lord. So when we talk about what it means to add to the words, we understand more when we even look back at Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy is giving that warning not to add to the Old Testament, not to add to the Torah because of idolatry. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses recounts a time in Israel's journeys where they were tempted to fall into idolatry. They were being tempted by a prophet by the name of Balaam to fall into the idol worship at a place called Peor. In fact, it became known as the Baal, the false idol of Peor, where the people were tempted to synchronize and to say, we can worship God, yes, we can worship Yahweh, but at the same time, we can still worship the gods of these other lands. We'll just merge them together because that will create peace and harmony this was the same temptation the people in the culture of Revelation were facing. The temptations that God's people face are nothing new. Satan does not need to reinvent them. They are true for every age. For example, look at what he wrote in Revelation 2, verse 14. He says to this church, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who are holding the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Even when John wrote this to this church, there was a temptation to merge the popular winds of religion in the age with what God had taught. It's called syncretism. It's adopting to the ways of the world. That's what adding to it means. 
We can worship God and these things also. We can worship God and do this too. We can add this to God's word. And he says, no. The idea of subtracting is the idea of ignoring the parts that we don't like. It's looking at the parts that really struck home to us and reading over them. That's subtracting from it. And even though we may not verbalize it, we justify it. Lord, I'm not really that bad. The question becomes, what can we ignore in the Scripture and still claim it's authoritative for our lives? I mean, think of it like this. Food analogies struck home with me. Think of a BLT sandwich. You know, don't go out and get one. Just think of it. Bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Out of those three ingredients, what can you take away and still call it a BLT? I want a BLT, but hold the T. Well, now you just got a BL. You see, by definition, you can't take away from it and say it's still a BLT. As we claim to be a people of the book that believe that God has spoken in His Word and through His Word, what parts of it can we take away and still say, yes, we believe the Bible is God's Word? You see, we must be careful to guard because notice the consequences of this. He says anyone who hears these words and they add to them, in other words, try to mix in, try to mix in the prevailing winds of worship, and by that I mean idolatry. He says, I will add to them the plagues in this book. If anyone takes away, in other words, if they say they, they believe, but they overlook parts of it to suit their lives, I'll take away their share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in the book. Now, there are promises all throughout the book of Revelation that those who overcome, those who persevere, will eat of the tree of life. Now, this is one of the hard passages in Scripture. There are several of them because they're difficult. For example, Hebrews chapter 6, where does it teach that you can lose your salvation? But what about the promises that those who believe will be saved and those who will persevere till the end shall be saved? My understanding of this, and looking at it comprehensively with the all of Scripture, is this. Our response to this warning reveals our heart. Our response to this warning reveals the state of our heart. In other words, the person who is a believer, who is genuinely seeking God, will read this warning and say, Lord, search my heart so that I'm not trying to add things in and that I'm not trying to ignore things. Lord, if I have, I repent. Lord, help me. The believer will take these truths as self-sustaining and they will say, Lord, I will not try to change your word. I want to be changed by it. See, Revelation is a lot about revealing counterfeits. It has a way of drawing the line in the sand very clearly. Where Jesus said you can't worship God and money at the same time because you will love one and hate the other. Revelation enforces that with the picture of Babylon being the place of wealth and comfort and ease and pleasure and saying come out of her my people. 
You can't love Babylon and say you're a part of the city of God at the same time. You see, this warning is a way of revealing the poser from the possessor. Just like a storm, and we certainly had our fill of those, a storm will reveal the strength of the steel in which the building is built. So this warning reveals our hearts. What do we do with it? Do we have humility to fall before the Word and trust that God has given us what we need? Do we look to it as our guide, our compass, our north star? You see, church, this is where we must be careful and pray for the Holy Spirit to guard us and to guide us because there are winds in our culture that would blow us away from the truth of God's Word as the God which we need. Ross Duthad, who is a, a writer for the New York Times, he is a, a believer. He has written a, a book that's very interesting called Bad Religion. And in it, he explores how our culture has shifted from being religious to being spiritual. He focuses on teachers such as Deepak Chopra, James Redfield, Eckhart Tolle, Paulo Coelho, Neil Donald Walsh, Oprah Winfrey, Elizabeth Gilbert, whose book, Eat, Pray, and Love. He says that all of those writings of this new spirituality have four things in common. And I wanted to take a moment and I wanted to put these before you because I think that do that is right. And if we are not careful, these, the, these winds can blow us off course and we can begin breathing in their air before we even realize it. First thing is this. He says, here are the core beliefs of the spiritual but not religious. First, the spiritual but not religious say that all organized religions offer only a partial, only partial glimpses of God or light or being. Thus, we must seek to experience God through feeling rather than reason, experience rather than dogma, a direct encounter rather than hand-me-down revelation. Think about what's being said in that. The Word of God plus your intuition. The Word of God plus how you feel about it. Now, God's not opposed to feeling. God made us as creatures that feel. He did. But we also have to rec recognize that our feelings are also affected by the fall. Our feelings can be wrong. And what this is saying is that rather than looking at the revealed Word of God, we will hold up our intuition. Neil Donald Walsh in his book, Conversations with God, says this, quote, Listen to your feelings. Listen to your highest thought. Whenever any of these differ from what you've been told by your teachers or read in your books, forget the Word. Spirituality without revelation. We must be careful that that does not blow in to the church today. There's a second core value of the spiritual but not religious. He says God is everywhere and within you. I'm sorry, God is everywhere and within everything, especially within you. You can encounter God by getting in touch with the divinity that resides inside your very self and soul. You're God. God may be out there, but he's also within you. At the climax of his best-selling book, The Alchemist, Paul Coelho writes, The boy reached through the soul of the world and saw that it was part of the soul of God. 
and he saw that the soul of God was his own soul. That's part of the spiritual currents in our culture. God's within you. You are the final arbitrator of truth. Here's a third core belief of the spiritual but religious. Sin and evil are largely illusions that will ultimately be reconciled rather than defeated. There is no hell save the one we make for ourselves on earth. No final separation from the being that all our beings rest within. And by the way, that last statement, no final separation from the being that all our beings rest within, that's Buddhism. That all is one, and at the end of things, we become a part of that one. Elizabeth Gilbert assures her readers in Eat, Pray, and Love, quote, There is no such thing in this universe as hell, except maybe in our own terrified minds. Could it be that believers are falling into this thinking? No hell except the ones that we make for ourselves? Here's a fourth core belief of the spirituality that has encompassed our culture. Number four, perfect happiness is available right now. Heaven is on earth. Even within evangelical Christendom, many are swept away with this thought through books like Your Best Life Now or The Health and Wealth Gospel. Eternity can be entered at any moment by any person who understands how to let go, let God, and let themselves be washed away in love. Heaven is what you make it to be. James Redfield writes, At some point, everyone will vibrate highly enough so that we can walk into heaven in our same form. Now, I'm not sure what the vibrating is about, but it's a prominent thought. Coelho adds, I do believe in life after death, but I also don't think it's that important. What's important is to understand that we are also living this life after death now. Now, the reason I've taken a little more time with these, this is the water we're swimming in in today. And these thoughts can enter into our thinking, even if they're not stated as succinctly as they are here. Each one of these is an example of adding to or taking away from the message of Revelation. The message of Revelation is that God has revealed himself through and in the Scripture. This is his revelation that points to the final revelation, which is Jesus Christ. Revelation tells us that God is reigning over all things. And while God is omnipresent, he is distinct from us. I hate to break it to you, but you are not God. We are not God. We are finite. He is infinite. We are limited. He is unlimited. He is eternal, and we are not. Sin and evil are real and will be defeated by God, and hell is just as real as heaven. And understand that all the joys of this earth are partial and are simply coming attractions of the joy that is to come in heaven. You see, this shows us how easy it is to begin to take away from God's Word or add to it. While we should be concerned about translations and want correct ones, we should be more concerned about are we and how we live 
adding to or taking away from the Word of God. There's another area in which revelation is sufficient, and this is picked up in verse 20. The return of Jesus is sufficient. It's sufficient for our needs. Three times in this chapter, in verse 7, in verse 10, I'm sorry, in verse 12, and in verse 20, Jesus makes the statement, surely I am coming soon. Maranatha, the Aramaic term for come quickly, Lord Jesus. We'll see this, in fact, at the end of verse 20. Come, Lord Jesus. Did you know that this is one of the oldest prayers that we have found from the early church? There's a book, now it's not considered, it's not in the New Testament, but it's one of the books, it's called the Didache. The Didache. It was a book that the early church used as a training manual. It was kind of like a, a guidebook. It's not on par with Scripture. It's simply how the early church sought to apply the Scripture. And did you know that throughout it there are prayers recorded? And in each of those prayers, one of the things the early church prayed regularly was found at the end of verse 20. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. The hope of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, is fulfilled in this. The return of Jesus is the fulfillment of our hope. The hope of a better world. The hope for justice. The hope to see and to experience the glory of God comes to fruition in the return of Jesus Christ. This is the living hope of which Peter spoke of. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he wrote these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship unto him. Why? Because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A hope that is not dead. A hope that gives life. How do we have this hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is this hope? It is to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now don't read over that phrase quickly. In verse 4, this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven. Heaven is not our inheritance. It's the place where the inheritance is. So what is the inheritance? I submit to you it is nothing less than the glory of God and experiencing that fully where all of our joys and hopes come to meet in Him and every tear is wiped away. Every sin is gone. Every disease gone. Death is no more. And what we long for comes to be. That's what makes heaven heaven. And he says, it's kept for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. God grants us faith that we may guard our hearts and minds so that we are not swept away from that hope. So we don't live our life thinking, well, if I can just do more, if I can do more, then I'll enter into heaven on earth. We can say what Jesus has done is sufficient and he has purchased my ticket into heaven and I am guarded through him. And this salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a reference to Jesus' return. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, and the Greek phrase for if necessary means, and it is necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. He's saying that revelation is a tool to strengthen our faith because the hope we have is greater than anything we can imagine. Now, I want to confess something to you. When I was in 
high school, particularly my senior year. The year was 1987, and the, um, the, the Christian world was captivated by a man who had written a book claiming that Jesus Christ would return in 1988. Now we see how that panned out. Um, but there was a, a guy that feeding on that frenzy that had come about of end time predictions started teaching through Revelation at a Bible study. And I can remember attending that and hearing. Now I'm 18 years old and I'm hearing this that Jesus is going to return. I'd grown up hearing that doctrine but now I'm studying it and I'm seeking to live for the Lord. And I confess to you, whenever they would talk about Jesus coming soon, my prayer was this, Lord, I want you to come back, but can you wait till I'm married? Can you wait till I'm married, Lord? Now, I want you to think about the idea under that. Now, I was 18 years old, and I didn't know no better. But the premise was is that there is some joy here that will be lacking in heaven. In other words, let me enjoy the benefits of marriage here first and then come back, Lord, because that's going to be better than what would await in heaven. Listen to me carefully. There is not one thing, one experience on this earth that we will look back on in heaven and say, oh, I miss that. Oh, I wish, wish we had that here. Not one. Any joy that we have here will find its complete fulfillment in heaven with the Lord. The sufficiency of the return of Jesus is clear to meet all of our hopes, all of our longings. There's nothing we will miss, nothing. You see, in that, the return of Jesus is to serve as our motivation to pursue holiness to say, Lord, I want to live for you because I know that the joy that awaits is greater, greater, greater than any joy that is here. Hebrews puts it like this. You'll see it up on the screen. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You want to see the Lord pursue holiness. That becomes a characteristic of one who is seeking him. And it reminds us that our confidence must be in God, not human efforts. Some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. J.R.R. Tolkien picked up on a lot of these themes in his magnificent work, The Lord of the Rings Trilogy. He picks up on this ring of longing, or this, this, this theme of longing. In the second book called The Two Towers, the heroes are getting ready to go into battle, and Gandalf, who is their kind of in a way a, a representative of the supernatural guidance that God gives, has left them. And he tells Aragon, the hero, he says, On the fifth day at dawn, look to the east. Look to my coming. And as Aragorn prepares for the battle and he goes out, he remembers it's the fifth day. And within him, hope is reborn to know that as he goes into the battle, there is a promise that deliverance will come. So it is for us. Rather than reading Revelation and say we will retreat from the world, we go into the world ready for battle. But we go into battle knowing this third truth, and this is from verse 21, that the grace of Jesus is sufficient. Here is the final word. 
It is a common ending in many of the New Testament letters. In fact, it is so common that I fear we look over it because it is so common. But notice what he says. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That as the book concludes and we go to live what we have just heard read, we go out seeking divine favor, knowing that his grace will be with us because with everything described in Revelation, hope and judgment, grace and wrath, light and darkness, isn't it good to know that the last word is grace? Now think of grace not just as a, a state of being, but as a power. The grace of God that empowers us to live for him. The grace of God coursing through us, transforming us. Revelation, with all of its apocalyptic images, is a book of grace. The grace of God to strengthen saints to persevere. The grace of God to bring Christians who are struggling back as they read the warnings. The grace of God to draw the unsaved to salvation. And notice the source of this grace. The grace of or from the Lord Jesus. It's one of the few times in Revelation he is referred to as Lord Jesus. But even though those two specific words are not found often together, the image of him as Lord is found throughout the book. It's a picture of Jesus as sovereign God, equal with God the Father. Not two deities, but one. Both God fully. Grant Osborne, a theologian, writes this. John wants the Lord Jesus to shine upon them with sovereign power so they can be overcomers and ready for the Lord's return. So he wants to shine upon us with his grace. And notice this is with all. To all the readers of the book, this offer of grace is given and it is available to all who would come and believe. And then the final word, amen. So be it. It's a word of agreement. Amen. That's why every now and then the Spirit moves and I'll get a little feedback. Amen. So be it. Let it be. God is sufficient. He is sufficient. Would you bow with me in prayer right now?